Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Mullen Group Limited third quarter earnings conference call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Murray K. Mullen, Chairman and CEO and President. Please go ahead. Welcome all uh, to Mullen Group's quarterly conference call. And this morning, this is uh, we're going to be discussing our financial operating performance for the third quarter. And this will be followed by an update on the near-term outlook as we see it. So before I convince today's review, I remind everyone that our presentation contains some forward-looking statements that are based upon current expectations and are subject to a number of uncertainties and risks. As a result, actual results may differ materially. So further information identifying these risks, uncertainties, and assumptions can be found in the disclosure documents, which are filed on CDAR and at www.mullen-group.com. With me this morning, I have our executive team, Stefan Clark, CFO Richard Maloney, a senior VP, Joanna Scotts, our corporate secretary and VP of corporate services, and Carson Erlacher is our corporate controller. So let, let's take a look at the headlines. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll address them here this morning before I turn the call over to Stefan to talk about some of the detail of the quarter. So let me just say this, that the roller coaster ride continues and no one anticipated that there would be a temp pandemic this year. And I doubt many would have predicted the many changes that have occurred as a result. But what amazes me is how the economy has adapted. We see it real time in our business and as evidenced by our results this quarter, and in fact year to date as well, our business model is more than just resilient, it's best in class. So I'm proud to say the least of our entire team. So today I'm gonna to focus on four headline topics that are most important to our shareholders and all investors. And let me start with revenue. So let me just say this economy is all about the consumer, how much they are spending and where and how. So here is how our business participated in the consumer-led uh, economic recovery or economic change, let me call it that. And also, let's call it the plus and minus $35 million quarter. Now, the reason I say that is this is about the amount of additional revenues we generated over the second quarter, and this is the amount by which uh, we also uh, are down vis-a-vis -vis the third quarter of last year. So uh, let's just call it the plus or minus $35 million quarter. The Coles notes is that consolidated revenues continue to recover from the lows earlier this year when governments, bureaucrats, and politicians determined that many business establishments uh, should be shut down and individuals forced to shelter in place. Now, thankfully, these decrees were temporary and a more thoughtful approach has been implemented. 
Now, as this economy has reopened, we've seen a resurgence in consumer spending. And as I talked about earlier, this is the predominant engine of economic growth in today's economy. How they have spent has changed, but how much they have spent has not. We see it on our LTL business. We see it in our warehouse and in our logistics business. And we see it today in unemployment levels. Thankfully, on this topic, we've returned most, not all, of our workforce to full employment. Um, however, we're still not back to pre-COVID levels for one simple reason. Parts of the economy in certain geographic regions have been ravaged by changes to the economy. The hospitality industry, the air travel industry, and yes, the oil industry have been hit particularly hard. None more than the province of Alberta, where the crude oil and natural gas industries play a significant economic role. But, and I say this, and here's the good news, is activity is improving, even in the beaten up oil field services sector of the economy. Now, I'm going to go out on the limb and suggest these industry sectors will eventually recover over time. We will all adjust, just like we always have in the past. Nobody likes COVID-19, but everything I see suggests we are adapting, and this trend will ultimately continue. might take a year or two, but the industries hit, hurt the hardest today will not stay down forever. Until they do, however, our diversified business model provides ample opportunity. So on a consolidated basis, revenue recovered nicely from the second quarter lows, although they remain down about 10% year over year. And the best news is that we saw revenues improving month over month in the latest quarter, reflecting strong consumer confidence, a continuation of pipeline construction in British Columbia, and even oil field maintenance and turnaround work returning. In addition, we set the stage for even higher revenues in the future with the completion of a couple tuck-in acquisitions, along with some very strategic investments in technology, facilities, and land, which we believe will allow our business units to gain market share in this ever-changing world. Now let me go to the second highlight, and let's talk about profitability. That's the holy grail of any business. It's up and up nicely. So how did we do it? Well, let's start with the business recovery. Improving revenues is the first key point I'll make. Secondly, we have reduced our cost of business, and I attribute all of this to our business unit's relentless focus on managing every business process. Fuel costs are down, which is directly correlated to low crude oil demand and pricing. Thirdly, our high-performing business units, such as the Gardwine Group, Cleason Group, and Premade Pipelines had another strong quarter. And lastly, the Government of Canada has virtually kept all of our business whole from the economic impacts of COVID-19. Uh, yes, business has been impacted, but the Q's program has mitigated the negative implications. Now, on this issue, I will be honest. Mullen did not need the government support. Some of uh, our business units did, and as a result, we retained more people in these business units than we would have otherwise done so. But overall, we entered this year well capitalized and our diversified business model insulated us from much of the economic problem. Our competitors perhaps were not so fortunate. Regardless, it's a government program and we will use the proceeds from Q's to maintain employment levels and to invest in the future. 
Now, shareholders get nothing from Q's other than our business will remain strong and we will ultimately grow. Let me talk about the third headline from last quarter. Lots of cash, room to grow, and debt to cash flow declining. You can read the details in our Q3 interim report, enough said. Fourth, what about capital allocation? Well, how did we allocate our shareholders' capital last quarter? Let me start with CapEx. Equipment purchases and CapEx continue to be constrained by bottlenecks. However, we have not changed our 2020 CapEx and we expect to be on budget by year end. You have to continue to invest in your business if you want to maintain your business in the future. We completed our Regina Smart Terminal last quarter and is designed to facilitate data interconnectivity in tomorrow's plug-in electric vehicles. It's a new facility that Jay's Transportation Group has moved into. Let me just call it for what it is. It's a fantastic facility, positioning them for years to come. Undoubtedly, they will be able to gain market share from this uh, uh, brand new facility. We identified some strategic land position that will allow for future growth and expansion of our expanding LTL segments. In terms of capital allocation, we had some share buyback. We continue to uh, buy back stock during the quarter. In fact, we've now completed our uh, annual authorized share repurchase, reducing our share count by nearly 8 million common shares. We did so at an average cost of 670. So if you were one of those shareholders that stuck with us when the share price was hammered, uh, you are way better off today because of our investment in our own company. Another form of of, uh, our capital allocation was dividend. We reinstated the dividend, albeit at a lower rate uh, pre-COVID. And as evidenced by our quarterly profit performance, our decision has been more than justified And we're going to continue to monitor what happens with the economy and COVID-19 over the next couple of months. And we'll address the 2020 for 2021 as part of our 2021 annual budget and business plan. So suffice to say, however, our business model is both diversified and robust. Uh, So in summary, all in all, uh, I'm going to say this. It was a great quarter in many, many respects. Uh, In terms of safety, I got a comment about that. Uh, our, our people worked ex- diligently to make sure that we protected each other and uh, we did a fantastic job. Uh, we had a couple cases of COVID, but overall, everyone is doing fine. Uh, and uh, other than some inconveniences and disruptions, uh, I would say uh, on the safety front, all is good. And now for the details on the financial results, I'll turn the call over to Stefan. Seth? Yes, uh, thank you, Murray, and good morning, fellow shareholders. I'll get a little bit more granular. However, our third quarter interim report contains the details that fully explains our performance. As such, I will only provide some high-level commentary. In the midst of these tumultuous times, it appears some normalcy has returned, and consumer spending has, for the most part, rebounded in areas we serve. Although revenue in all three segments declined, each segment recovered from their Q2 lows at differing paces. On a consolidated basis, revenue declined by approximately 10%. Year-over-year revenue declined by $34.4 million, we'll call it $35 million, to $290.9 million. A part of the decline was due to lower fuel surcharge revenue. Excluding the effect of acquisitions and fuel surcharge fluctuations, revenue decreased by a more normalized $30.9 million. Specifically, revenue in the LTL 
uh, logistics and warehousing and specialized in industrial segments declined by 2.8, 12.8, and 17.1% respectively. This is a considerable improvement from Q2. The LTL segment revenue decreased by $3.2 million, or a mere 2.8%, to $112.7 million as compared to $115.9 million in 2019. This decrease was due to the $3.2 million decline in fuel surcharge. We experienced a $2 million decline in same-store sales that was offset by $2 million of acquisition revenue. So this is really reflective of the return of the consumer, and in fact, September same-store sales was up once adjusted for acquisitions and the decline in fuel surcharge revenue. Again, we are seeing regional differences, but for the most part, the consumer is back spending again. Logistics and warehouse segment revenue fell by 12.6 million to 86.2 million. This is down year over year by 12.8% and sequentially by about 10%. Simply put, the investment in capital goods economy still lacks confidence. Projects executed in 2019 have not been repeated. The specialized and industrial segment decreased by 19.1 million or 17.1% due to the COVID-19 related collapse in commodity prices that hampered no, I, I would say killed oil field activity. This was somewhat offset by improved uh, results by pre-made pipeline and SMOOF, as well as revenue generated in our production services group due to turnaround and plant maintenance work that occurred in September. As for profitability, operating income before depreciation and amortization, commonly referred to as EBITDA, increased by $9.6 million or 17.3% to $65.2 million. This is almost a new record, and second only to Q3 of 2015 when the specialized and industrial segment generated over $33 million of EBITDA, and the logistics and warehousing segment benefited from the Suncor Fort Hills build-out. So uh, this period we have uh, no projects, but steady consumer spending. Of course, this number comes as a result also of queues. The underlying number is 54.9, million as compared to 55.6 million in 2019, so virtually flat, dollar-wise, on reduced revenue. The underlying EBITDA number reflects the strength of our business model, but also of one fundamental. Diesel prices fell by an average of 9.3% during the quarter. This benefited our businesses and reduced fuel as a percentage of revenue from 8.1% to 6.9%. The 1.2% difference added about $2.6 million to the bottom line. Now for the EBITDA segment detail, the LTL segment was up $3.2 million or 16.7% to $22.4 million. EBITDA improved due to the $1.7 million of queues in this segment and the incremental uh, $400,000 of EBITDA generated from the acquisition of Pacific Coast Express and a $1.1 million of savings resulting from our COVID-19 action plan uh, and fuel savings. Operating margin increased to 19.9, but accused adjusted 18.4%, so still up handsomely from 16.6% generated in 2019, primarily due to lower diesel prices and cost control initiatives. The logistics and warehousing segment was up $2.5 million, or 16.4%, to $17.7 million of EBITDA. Operating margin improved to 20.5% from 15.4% in 2019. Again, due to Qs, $2.3 million of Qs in this segment and lower diesel prices. The Qs adjusted margin was still up handsomely, though, 
at 17.9% or up 2.5% from as a percent of revenue. The specialized and industrial segment uh, was up $3.8 million, or about 16%, to $27.5 million. EBITDA improved due to recognizing $6.3 million of Qs in this segment during the quarter. And from higher uh, margin, large diameter pipe hauling and stringing revenue, these increases were par- partially offset by lower EBITDA from those business units involved in the transportation of fluids and the servicings of wells and from the EU's uh, most directly tied to drilling activity. So it was a tough quarter in those segments, but a strong quarter in our more specialized uh, groups. Operating margin improved to an unprecedented 29.8% from 21.3% in 2019, again, primarily because of queues and a greater proportion of higher margin revenue, lower diesel prices, and our COVID-19 action plan. Q's adjusted margin was 22.9%, an improvement still of 1.6% as a percentage of revenue. Looking at other notable items, net cash from operating activities was up to approximately $47 million. We used some of this cash to buy back shares. We bought back our last shares on September 30th, and we bought the maximum allowable of approximately 8 million shares for an average price of $6.70. During the quarter, we invested $23.9 million for share buybacks and a total of $53.4 million of buybacks in 2020. We also reinstituted our dividend, paying our shareholders $5.9 million during the quarter, and we uh, continued our CapEx program, which Marie spoke to. Year to date, our CapEx is $31.7 million, and we announced the purchase of some adjacent lands in Calgary uh, that closed earlier this month but post-quarter. This $31.7 million is comprised of $6.9 million of facilities and $24.8 million for rolling stock. Our announced announced capital plan was intended to be a repeat of 2019. However, in the first nine months of 2019, we had invested about $40 million into rolling stock. We are behind because the OEMs shut down their factories and delivery times have been pushed out. It's a timing issue, nothing more, nothing less. We also funded the acquisition of Pacific Coast Express for approximately $14 million, which included two uh, strategic properties. After all that, we have approximately $105 million of cash, only down $6 million from Q2. In addition to our cash, we have an undrawn $150 million line of credit and substantial positive working capital. Our total net debt to operating cash flow, financial covenant under a private placement agreement, which gives us the benefit of our in-the-money currency hedges, was 2.12 to 1, or about two times cash flow, rather conservative position to be in during a recession. So, Murray, with that, I'll pass the conference back to you. Thanks, Stefan. Um, And I'll just remind all of you, for those that are so inclined, uh, that the Q3 MD&A contains all of the detail, and uh, Stefan... Uh, just highlighted some of that, uh, uh, some of it for you. So I would, uh, as we look at the outlook for the balance of 2020, and I always say it's easier to be optimistic on the heels of a solid quarter, uh, such as the one we just completed. And based upon everything we see today, uh, we do not expect to finish. We do expect to finish the year on a positive note. Now, there's always the potential for another round of COVID-19-induced shutdowns. Everyone's aware of that, but we doubt large sectors of the economy will be as impacted as severely as earlier this year. So with this as a backdrop, it seems that the consumer-led economy remains on solid footing. Difficult to see how it's going to grow at the moment, 
but it looks to remain on solid footing. As such, uh, we expect our LTL and logistics warehousing segments to continue to produce solid results, which is a good base to start from. In our specialized industrial services segment, there's always a bit more volatility due to the nature of the business cycle and, and project work. Nevertheless, we see a continuation of work associated with the major pipeline construction work, as well as some incremental oil and natural gas drilling activity and maintenance work. So all in all, we expect results, at least in terms of profitability, to be similar to last year's fourth quarter. So this ultimately speaks to a very solid year for our company, despite COVID-19. What this tells you is pivot and adapt are key to performance. Now in terms of the balance sheet, uh, let me just highlight a little bit of what Stefan said. It should be pretty obvious that cash of 100 million plus and an untapped line of 150 million provides a lot of dry powder. But you should all know me by now, I do not chase growth for the sake of growth. We target growth where we can add value, which is the ultimate long-term creator of wealth for shareholders. So currently, we're, we are inundated with acquisition opportunities that needs each that needs to be vetted out. So I, I ask myself, why are so many companies all of a sudden on the block? My instincts are telling me that 2021 is the great is the is going to be a great year of opportunity. Uh, in which opportunities will be available, especially as government support payments start to run out. Then it's back to basics, and you better have a good business model like we do here at Mullen Group. On this topic, I'm often reminded that our stock trades at a significant discount to our Canadian peers, which is amazing considering the diversity of our business model and our best-in-class operating performance. So let me give you one example. A peer of ours, which is, by the way, an excellent company in its own right, has a market value of nearly two times ours, despite the fact that we generate more EBITDA per month, more cash flow per month than they do in a quarter. Now, one does not have to excel at math to realize something is amiss here. Or let me put it another way. Our LTL segment alone is virtually the same size as this peer in terms of EBITDA, revenues, etc. It is steady, and we have grown this segment significantly over the years. Yet the entire market cap of Mullen is half and we compete against each other in many lanes and product delivery lines. So when I tell investors that Mullen Group is a solid investment, I speak with confidence. We operate a very successful company. We've returned $1.3 billion to shareholders over the years since we went public, and this continues to grow each year. And we will grow the business off of our strong balance sheet. Perhaps this might explain why we acquired $8 million of our own shares over the last uh, past two quarters. So to the sellers, I say thank you for giving us the opportunity to invest in our company at such a steep discount. Value creation 101 in my books. Now I'll turn the call over the operator for a Q&A session, uh, but before I do, our next meeting will be in mid-December. Uh, I think we've got December 10th. Uh, December 10th, we'll confirm that shortly, but uh, let, let's earmark it around December 10th in which we will outline our 2021 budget and business plan. It's only a few weeks away, folks, so stay tuned. And operator, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star and two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue.
Our first question comes from Konark Gupta with Scotia Capital. Please go ahead. Thanks, uh, and uh, good morning, everyone, uh, and uh, congrats on a great quarter. Um, my first one would be on on your expectations into the end of the year. Uh, I think you noted uh, you want to kind of finish on a strong note and uh, probably flattish versus last year, if I heard correctly. Um, like obviously, you you in heading into Q3, you, you had some expectation that your second quarter EBITDA would be kind of flattish uh, heading into the second half. Um, and obviously that did not happen. You kind of exceeded that expectation. I'm just trying to understand, like, what what really is the kind of uh, big nuance between Q4 and Q3 that you anticipate um, perhaps, uh, you know, revenue or EBITDA uh, to be down sequentially? Is it the queues? Is it uh, something that took place in Q3? Well, queues will be down for sure as your business recovers, uh, Stefan. Um, yeah, we... that's one. Yeah. For sure, uh, but let, let's just take cues out of the uh, out of the equation and look at just same store sales and same operating performance. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm kind of hedging my comments a bit because my general sense is is that we got to see what happens over the next month or so with uh, the spike in COVID and how both the governments and consumers are going to react to what's happening. So, uh, you know, I, I like none of us can predict it spot on, but my general sense is one should be a little cautious and just that that's why I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I'm being, uh, maybe that's explains part of it for you. Uh, but, uh, I don't expect anything too draconian, but, but I am, I'm, I'm hedging my book here right now because uh, I, I don't see it growing at the moment. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the consumer-led recovery slow a little bit uh, on the heels of, uh, you know, of, of, of some of these COVID issues. And uh, then we got to wait and see when there's more stimulus comes in from the fiscal side, if you ask my opinion. Uh, but but uh, but that's about it. And then you have your traditional kind of year-end slow down things that happen in in the business and uh, those kind of things. But uh, all in all, I still think it'll be a pretty solid fourth quarter relative to last year. And uh, that's why I, I, you know, I gave you that, uh, I think it'll be about the same as, same as last year. I'll just start with that. But uh, as we said, I've been surprised at how strong the consumer's been. So uh, I'd rather give you a positive surprise than a negative one. Right, that makes sense. Thanks, Mike, for that. Um, and then uh, you also noted uh, some recovery has taken place in the Alberta market. Uh, I'm just curious as to is that all uh, related to trucking and logistics, or are you seeing anything improving in the oil patch as well? Because uh, when I look at your Q3 uh, numbers for the specialized and industrial segment, um, your incremental EBITDA, uh, or call it uh, EBITDA growth quarter over quarter in Q3, um, came in at that, call it 40% margin. So that's a pretty strong margin. So I'm just curious as to what happened in Q3 that uh, that lifted the margin so much. Is it the leverage? Is it the um, big pipeline hauling margin alone or, or something else? Well, on a year-over-year, year, uh, clearly uh, pipeline, you know, these we've been commenting to our shareholders since, earlier this year that the big pipeline projects that were going on, we were going to have a robust year. 
in terms of pipeline construction. Once these projects start, they 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 got to finish off, and we still got clear visibility right through end of next year, maybe into 2022, on the projects that are going on. So that's been a clear win. Uh, but in our specialized industrial service side, as I said to you, there's a couple things. One is, you know, it's more cyclical. Uh, it's it's uh, for sure because it's tied to project work, uh, and uh, you know, um, and and really more capital intensive work. So I, I was quite impressed with some of the some of the uh, recovery there. I think it was mostly pipeline related. Some yep. tied. We had some good. Uh, some some good activity with our construction company Schmuck that's in in BC, but uh, overall um, uh, saw recovery in in maintenance and 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 turnaround work by the oil and gas uh, companies that had to go back in and start spending money again. You can, you, you can reduce maintenance and do things for a little bit, but you can't forever. So we saw a nice. Re- Nice recovery in that side. Strong pipeline construction activity. Uh, a good quarter in terms of our our, our uh, Schmuck business unit. I think a solid in terms of uh, of, of our uh, uh, dewatering business. Uh, so all in all, you know that's that's what we saw in that. Now remember, we always refer to our specialized and industrial segment. As kind of our, our our segment of little gems, there's probably nothing in here that's totally scalable, uh, but we've made some good investments in companies that uh, uh, really, when we go in and provide our skill set in terms of capital allocations and position them in their respective markets, uh, they may not be scalable, uh, but they can generate some pretty good returns, especially in, and I got to tell you, they generate some pretty good cash returns. So. So that's that's the nice recovery in that sector. It's that segment for us. Yeah, and if I could just add for the analyst community and, and those that are really wanting a little bit more granular detail, is that our, those those specialized gems that Murray's talking about used to be about a third of our segment revenue, and a third was drilling and drilling related, and a third was production services. So it used to be rather balanced, but now they're about 50 or 60 percent of revenue that specialized group because of the decline and so that gives you a relative indication of, of sort of what the revenue is like and then uh your your very your observations and we break it down between those three groups within our mdna you're, you're correct in that that marginal um ebitda from that specialized group is is higher so that's why that the lift in margin Great. No, that, that's great. And last one for me before I turn it over. Um, on the real estate side, so yeah, I think you identified, I think, a few more uh, real estate opportunities uh, subsequent to the quarter end, uh, I think, in Calgary. Uh, if you can provide any color as to what uh, is the kind of size and magnitude of those uh, uh, acquisitions and uh, what is the purpose for that? Um, and are you considering uh, minimum monetization of uh, any pieces of real estate uh, around around the country? Uh, just given you know the, the the prices have gone up. Look, I, I I'll give to to our uh, investors on the call. I said, look, if you're going to be involved in the consumer part of the economy, you you have to have investments in real estate. You cannot manage uh, the supply chain without having real estate. That's a fact. So, uh, and we see a, a changing consumer landscape. 
we see they're more demanding, uh, and that means you got to get and, and uh, they want it quicker, better, faster. That lends itself to you got to have your facilities in the right spots. So that's creating opportunity to say, make sure you put your facilities in the right area. Uh, in facilities is one of our core competencies here. We've made some great investments over the years. Uh, and landed buildings, uh, if you're going to invest in the consumer-driven economy, I don't care whether you're Amazon or you're Mullen. Uh, you better have some facilities. And so that's why we consider that uh, an important part of our uh, business model. And we'll continue to make those investments. They're both long-term and they're strategic. Uh, thanks uh, for the color. Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from Michael Robertson with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, gents. Uh, congrats on the strong quarter, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, just, just a couple of quick ones. Uh, even adjusting for the queues, margins are up meaningfully across all three segments. Some of that, as you noted, has been driven by extraneous factors like lower diesel prices, but other drivers of that increase have been from your cost controls. How should we be thinking about that margin strength as we head into 2021? Would, would you consider a lot of those improvements to be sustainable next year? Um, some of the cost, uh, look, I'll be blunt with you, uh, some of it is change in business process, and our, I give all the credit to the business units uh, for driving out, uh, out cost, uh, and that's what I talked about earlier. Um, that part is sustainable. Um, they, they just, everybody's figured out, uh, I didn't have to have that cost. Uh, now there are some new costs that came in too. Let's be clear, uh, you know, you got to invest in some safety related costs and, uh, in each. So that's the net, the net net effect though is, uh, we're running pretty efficient businesses. I think the other thing that we've got is, to the extent that, that all of us really don't have too many distractions uh, these days due to, to COVID, uh, we're 100% focused on the business. And, uh, you know, our, our first-liners are really intense and in, and in focus on what's going on, and they've done a great job on uh, driving some good change uh, right throughout the whole business. So that feels good. On the... Let me talk about a little bit about diesel costs. So diesel costs are down because crude oil costs are down. Uh, our thesis is, is that um, diesel costs may go up. But when diesel costs go up, then our, our drilling activity will improve because the margins and, and the fundamentals in the oil and gas sector will will improve. So thinking about diesel costs, we really have built-in hedges within our diversified business model that says, okay, if diesel costs go up, uh, yeah, maybe the margin goes down on our, uh, uh, on our uh, trucking logistics side, uh, anything to do with trucking logistics and LTL, yeah, that might happen. But conversely, uh, we'll probably have more activity on the specialized side. So that's a built-in hedge, if you ask me. Um, so it's, it's outside of our control, but we have hedges in place. Uh, overall, it reduced costs. It also reduced revenue, though, right, Steph? As we right. said about our, uh, you know, because our, uh, because our fuel surcharges. So we hedge it on multiple different ways. 
but yeah, that margin improved because we fuel costs were down. Well, that's our second biggest cost in the transportation business outside of uh, uh, outside of uh, wages. Uh, makes sense. Uh, appreciate the color. Um, I can also certainly relate to being 100% focused on work during a pandemic. Uh, I know in some previous years where visibility has been muddy, you've opted to somewhat delay your uh, year ahead outlook or business plan. Do you have an idea of when we should be expecting that update or is the timing still up in the air for the time being? Steph? I think we'll probably release a news release on the evening of December the 9th and then maybe hold a call on the 10th. We haven't quite done that. That's barring any, you know, I think we're getting some more clarity now, right? Like last year, as you recall, we, we typically had done it in December prior to last year. Last year, though, was very uncertain. We had uh, WCS hit $5 a barrel, and there was just too much fog for us to really say, okay, what is 20 uh, 20 going to look like. I think uh, we'll revert back to the norm and, and likely news release on the, the 9th of December and have a call on the 10th. Yeah, All typically, right. yeah typically uh, we, we like to release our business model, our business plan, sorry, uh, in December for what we expect in the, in the next year. Now, the last couple of years we've kind of hedged that a little bit because we were really trying to see what the heck uh, are the plans for the oil and gas sector for capital investment. That's one thing we were always waiting to see what they came out with and they were all over the map. So we said, well, let, let us find out then we can tell you what, what we think is going to happen this year. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not so worried about that. I'm, I, I'll just worry about, I, I think we'll know by mid-December how the COVID is going to hurt, hurt the economy and whether it is or whether it's not. And uh, so uh, we'll, we'll be we'll lay out our game plan uh, mid-December and then uh, let people know what our cap what our business plan is, what we expect to do in terms of revenue and, and operating performance, uh, capital allocation, uh, share buyback, dividend, all that. We'll have all of that in December. It's only a few weeks away, so I tell everybody just. Let, let us see what happens with uh, COVID here over the next little bit, and then uh, it'll be uh, it'll be a little clearer for us. I hope. All right. Well, uh, looking forward to the next update, and uh, I'll turn it back. Thanks for taking my questions. Thanks, Mike. Michael. The next question comes from Walter Spracklin with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks very much. Uh, hi, Murray. Hi, Stefan. How are you doing? Yeah, we're doing good, as we hope you are, too. Morning. Yeah. Yeah, good, good. Um, so, so starting first question, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on the capital side of your business. You mentioned tends to be more cyclical, more project-driven. When you look at your current book of business, um, would you characterize next year as being fairly Full in terms of the longevity of these, these these contracts carrying you sufficiently into 2021 to give you good visibility, or do you have uh, some of these projects ending sooner rather than later that, if not replaced, creates a lot of uncertainty around next year's level of business activity in your capital segment? Yeah, um, I think we're, we're pretty confident that uh, you know, every fundamental has lined up and, and it's going to be tough to turn off those taps. So we have some pretty good visibility 
uh, what we currently see right now. Uh, we'll confirm that, as I said, in uh, in uh, in December. But uh, if you're asking me right now, yeah, we're as I said, I think those projects once they start, you gotta you gotta keep going. So pretty good visibility, and uh, we'll be busy next year. Excited. Now moving to consumer. Wild, I think I know the wild the wild card is probably going to be well. Walter, is this? What the heck is going to happen with commodity prices? Commodity prices drive cash flow for the oil and gas sector, which drives investment activity. Um, right now, the oil and gas sector is so underinvested that that is going to lead one day to a response. Now, whether that's 2021 or 2022, I don't know for sure. But I guarantee you we're getting closer to the day of when we're going to have a response uh, and it's going to require capital investment again. Now, it could happen on the natural gas side this winter because natural gas is pretty much uh, in balance at the moment. And that's not COVID-related. That's weather-related. And let's see what happens with weather. If we have a cold winter, natural gas prices have nowhere to go but up. If natural gas, the only, the only way to add supply is not by turning on taps, it's by drilling. But that's going to lag. So I don't know exactly when, but I would be very, very surprised if we're not going to have to have a response in the near in the future uh, on on the drilling sector side, which is really capital investment. Yeah. So it sounds like with the projects you see going forward, good stability, bit of a wild card with commodity prices. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Good stability the, from what we see right now. On, on the project work, Canadian dewatering will be busy, Schmuck will have its, it's pretty steady, pipelines is gonna be steady, maintenance work in the oil and gas business is gonna be pretty stable. They've got to spend money. They're, they're wearing out stuff and doing things. They've gotta spend money on maintenance and turnaround. And then let's see what happens on the drilling side. That's gonna be commodity price related. And then one day you're gonna have a response. Yeah. I'm not predicting it in Q1, but one of right. these days it's going to happen. That's correct. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Okay, and now moving to consumer. I know, Murray, you and I have talked about this. It's, you know, they, they, they're remarkably resilient here. They're spending. Why they're spending is a good question, right? Is it due to government liquidity being injected? What happens when that stops and so forth? So would you say then that there might be, in fact, a little bit more and, and, and given second wave and uncertainty around that, is there perhaps a little bit more now less or, or less visibility now in your consumer segment? All, all things said, you know, with what you just said about capital, your capital segment, um, you know, there still seems to be a lot more uncertainty out there with how the consumer is going to react to a task that might be turned off. Uh, with regards to to liquidity, is that is that a fair statement? Well, I I, I mean, look, I I, I I don't know for sure. Obviously, I think nobody does. I'm I'm absolutely con, uh, amazed at how resilient the consumer is. Uh, the consumer is 
probably going to be the most stable part of the economy uh, on a go-forward basis. Uh, and uh, so let's let's just call it for what it is. I think the consumer is going to continue to spend. I don't know if they're. I don't think they're going to spend any more than they are right now. But I would still be pretty confident that consumers are not going to sit at home and do nothing. They're going to get bored and they're going to spend. They're going to do something just like they have over the last bit. And uh, my general sense is if you're going to get elected as a politician, uh, you'll only get elected if you give give people something. So uh, expect more fiscal stimulus, I, I would suspect. And, uh, and on that, as that near-term fiscal stimulus certainly continues into the Christmas season and the peak that we're going through now, um, lots of tight capacity out there, lots of opportunity to price. Um, are you seeing the ability to benefit from both, i.e., do you have the capacity to handle the surge, and B, do you have, you know, are you getting the pricing that comes with, with that from a general market standpoint as well? Uh, yeah, so we, I don't know if there's going to be another surge. That's a, I think your next layer of pricing surge would come with more uh, consumer spending, and that will come from more confidence that the consumer has. Uh, and then a better job creation market, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we're tight on capacity right now, which is why we're investing in, in new facilities and uh, what we call the smart facilities that are all going to be, uh, you know, interconnected with uh, the smart, what we call the smart terminals, both in terms of uh, data transfer and also uh, plug-ins for tomorrow's delivery vehicles, um, electric vehicles. So, Invest in real estate because that's your future growth. You gotta, you gotta have to beat the band. The supply chain is changing, period, point blank, and that's because consumers are changing. And you're going, inventory is going from just in time to just in case. You have to have that inventory in warehouses so that you can deliver to when the customer calls. And uh, that tells me you need facilities. Uh, so we're gonna continue to invest in those areas and going to be smart on behalf of our shareholders to, so we can meet future demand. It's going to continue to change. There's no doubt about it. That, I think that's I know you're going to answer trend. this question in, in December, but, I mean, everything you're saying now suggests that after, you know, a year of a fairly depressed capital program, you know, looking back net on a net CapEx basis, not gross, but net of proceeds, You've done as high as you know 90 million in the past. Obviously, you're not investing in the industrial side as much, but I gotta think you'd be more you'd, you'd be closer to your 2019 70 million than you are to your you know your 2020 50. Is that is is that a fair is that a fair assessment? <clears throat> yeah, in a couple in uh, a few short weeks, I'll be able to tell you exactly. Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> you know uh, I mean. Uh, let, let me, uh, you know, we're just getting out of this quarter. Why don't you let me digest that one for a little bit? But suffice to say, yeah, I, I'll tell you what. We'll spend more capital when I see the capital part of, of uh, investment of this economy starting to get the confidence to go to work. I haven't seen that yet. I see a strong consumer that supports our LTL business and our logistics warehousing uh, but our peak capital investment will come when we see the capital investment and business confidence come back to spend capital. That will give us the cover to go in. Well, you know why? Because our because our uh, our, our uh, profitability goes up. So uh, 
until then, there's no sense trying to guess when that's going to happen. But uh, uh, we'll outline our plan, Walter, here in a, in a few weeks. It's only six weeks away, so just hold that thought. Okay, I'll, I'll hold up. Uh, yeah, uh, and last question here. You said you were inundated um, with, with calls with regards to, to M&A. Would you characterize that in mainly your consumer, you know, kind of your LTL logistics uh, and special, uh, or would you say that's it more on your capital side that you're getting those, or is it across the, across the board in both? Uh, well, we, we see it across the board. In okay. the specialized industrial side, the capital side, uh, we don't even vet them. We don't have time. Okay, uh, it, the ones that we're vetting out are all in the in the LTL side and the uh, uh, logistics and warehousing side. Those are the ones that we're vetting out, and then we'll look at investing in those where we think that we can see that value can be added. Uh, there's no sense just paying up to get something that just to add the numbers together. We got to see where we can add value. Is that synergy? Is that margin improvement? Is that we can use that as a growth platform? Uh, we got to see some value proposition uh, if we're going to if we're going to allocate that shareholders' capital towards that. So we're Appreciate out. Uh, you know, we're keeping our days bit busy. I got my senior executive team. They're they're looking at me like Murray, no more for a bit. But uh, I'm, I'm whipping them. They're just going like crazy. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks very much as always. Thank you. Uh, Walter, just one more thing. Um, just on the CapEx from 19 and 18, I would remind everybody that we had facilities uh, in those numbers. So those were high numbers, but we had 20 and $25 million of facility purchases uh, yeah. during those years. So, um, you know, adjust for that. Good point. Yeah, thanks, Stefan. The next question comes from Aaron McNeil with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Hey, morning, guys. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, you sort of referenced it indirectly in the prepared remarks in the context of valuation, and perhaps more specifically in the Q&A, but I kind of want to maybe try and pry a bit of a different answer out of you. Your specialized in industrial segment predominantly features oil field services businesses, but those businesses uh, like your various hydrovac businesses, Canadian dewatering, Schmook, either have some non-energy exposure or aren't really energy-weighted at all. Uh, I think perhaps unfairly you're being painted with the oil field services and energy brush. So I guess my question is, what do you think your revenue and EBITDA exposure is on a percentage basis of the consolidated that's directly tied to the oil field services sector? Well, oil field service is two parts and I, I you know I, I just the first, you know for the umpteen time I'll try and tell people this oil field service is really two things one is the maintenance of everything that's going on today that has nothing to do with growth but once you've got these terminals once you've got these plants once you've got these uh, uh, refineries once you've got all these things well they got to be maintained that's just work you know, that goes on every day. That's a very stable part. Now, the oil and gas sector, you know, when they were trying to protect their balance sheet, they chinched a little bit in the second quarter uh, trying to protect their balance sheets. Well, that, that started to come back in Q3. We saw that, and that's what we reported in our numbers. And I think they're, they're going back in and got to make sure that those assets are going. The secondary part of oil and gas is tied to new capital investment, which is drilling. 
which meets new demand. Uh, that's constrained at the moment. Uh, but that is, golly, we, we've got, it, it's so small today of our business model, I hate to even talking about it, uh, it's, it's de minimis, Steph, uh, the, yeah. the drilling side. And so, uh, you know, it's just one, just one part of our portfolio uh, in our company. And uh, now when it comes back, there will be, uh, it's not going to, you know, go back to anywhere near it was before. But I guarantee you, when we, if we're going to be involved in it, we will make margin for our shareholders. If we don't make margin, we don't do it. But uh, that, that drilling side's got to come back. It's maybe a year away at max, but uh, the maintenance side, I suggest too, is they're going to do maintenance this quarter, next quarter, the year after quarter, and quarters after that. So maybe just to, to pin you down on a on a number. I mean, you you mentioned that fifty to sixty percent of that would be specialized, and, and the other fifty would be oil field services. So if you know, say that segment's 40 percent of EBITDA, would it be half of that that's directly tied to both those kind of maintenance businesses and drilling and completions businesses? Well, let, let's just put it that way: there's very little EBITDA right now from from uh, anything to do with uh, drilling. with drilling activity. I mean, it's uh, Schmuck will do more money than our whole, more than our whole oil field service side on the drilling side right now, but on the maintenance side, eh, it's pretty stable. Um, so, you know, I don't know if we break that out into each granular. We, you know, we got 34 companies in our group. We don't break it down into each uh, each company, but uh, it it's uh, it's what is it, Steph? Yeah, Aaron, I'll help you out here a little bit in the sense that, you know, we've had two quarters now of really non-existing drilling activity. I mean, there was 360 wells drilled in the third quarter, virtually nothing in the second quarter. Uh, the rig count in the second quarter was like 20 or 25, you know, in the third quarter. Now it's improved a little bit, but way down. So you can see that we've really worked hard at trying to get that beta out. It doesn't make sense for us to be a dividend-paying stock and having this big ebbs and flows. So we purposely done that, started maybe with Canadian Dewatering a number of years ago. Uh, you know, in 2018, we did the ACON, uh, ACOM acquisition where we really were uh, $70 million of revenue, maintenance-based revenue, you know, to the oil sands and, and such. And yes, they've had some hiccups here in the second quarter and, and through most of the third quarter, but they're back to doing maintenance. They have to do maintenance. Um, to get a little bit more granular, uh, you know, our rig moving used to be 60% of our revenue in EBITDA 20 years ago. It's now 4%, 3% of, of revenue, and EBITDA is uh, constrained even, even lower than that. So it's really not that high beta, and we really are a logistics company. We have always moved stuff for the oil field and it's always been about smart logistics, and we are less so an oil field service company. And I, I think we are painted with a bad brush there, um, you know, as far as some investor sentiment. And I think that's been changing over the last couple of years. So we've proven that we are able to get that variability out of our earnings and the stability in our, our dividend. So, but we don't give discrete information on each business unit. It's just something and, that Aaron, we Aaron, it's, it, it's Marie again. Look, it, it's so de minimis. You should you're chasing the wrong, you know the wrong uh, 
the wrong car here. I mean, our Jays group does more money than our whole drilling drilling size out of Saskatchewan. So why do you think we put a new terminal in there, you know, and, and help them? They're, so it's just de minimis. Enough said. Okay. On the uh, on the flip side, what do you think the percentage of your consolidated business would be? Entirely consumer driven and and basically back to pre-COVID levels. Well, LTL is 100% consumer driven and it's nearly back uh, 100% to it. Uh, the logistics and warehouses uh, business has some, it's not quite back in because there is some capital goods that when it's moving on the logistics side, heavy equipment, capital goods and whatever, that that's still a laggard in this economy. But uh, a lot of consumer goods still have to be moved uh, into the warehouse or whatever. Uh, that's the full truckload side. So, uh, but anything to do with the consumers is virtually back to 100%. Anything to do with capital goods is still uh, not even close to pre-COVID levels. Anything to do with specific subsectors like the energy is the industry or the hospitality business or the air travel business is still out in the woodshed getting a beating. Final question for me, and Walter asked in more general terms, but in the pre-made business, what's sort of the visibility on the continued strength of, of that book of business that, that you've got in hand today? On, on pre-made pipeline? That's right. But I just, you know, to go back to that, Aaron, I said we get pretty good visibility right through the end of 2021 because those are big project goes and you can't, you don't turn the tap off on a project. So uh, we get good visibility uh, once the project starts. So that's right through 2021. Great. Thanks. That's all for me. I'll turn it over. Thank you. The next question comes from John Gibson with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, and congrats on the strong quarter. Um, just first off here, just a follow on to the question around margin improvement. So you received 10 million in wage subsidies this quarter. Net net, if you lived in a world without wage subsidies, how much um, do you think you could recover of that 10 million? And I guess- uh, Just same store you know, sales. Any- yeah, let's just take same store sales, say there was no COVID, right? Without COVID, then there would be no government response. Correct? That's what you're asking? Yep. I'd say... Exactly, yeah. I'd say at least 50% because clearly our revenues would be higher. If you had, this, if you had the same economy uh, as you had uh, going in and what we thought, we would be virtually spot on to what we articulated to shareholders in February, early February. So I would say at least 50% of that, we would have been maybe not quite 100% to 60, but I'll, I'll bet you I'll bet you pretty close to it, um, because the uh, you know we just had strong recovery. We saw process improvement. We saw uh, investments in some of the real estate that we've been making, some of the technology, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, maybe not 100%. But I'll bet you 50% is a, is a, 
good rule of thumb as anything. I guess more what I'm trying to get at is how much further would you have cut cut costs in uh, without the wage subsidies? So say say that revenue, you know, is in this post-COVID world. I, I don't think um, we would have. I, I don't think you would have cut costs anywhere to the same extent. Because once you have a good uh, a good crisis, there's always a response uh, to that. So I doubt if we would have been able to cut costs as much, but we would have had more business, and so maybe the margin wouldn't have gone gone up quite as much. But we would have certainly had way more business, certainly more than the we're down. Uh, so we might have been up very nicely on business. So you might have had the same EBITDA, and maybe margin wasn't up. We responded to COVID with margin improvement on the, on the margin side. But without COVID, we would have still had higher EBITDA because our business model was pretty robust and we saw pretty good visibility with the things that we talked about in our business. We're just, we were improving and gaining market share and the economy was doing pretty, you know reasonably well, so. Okay, great, sure thanks for that. I'm not sure we would have had as anywhere near the same margin improvement, uh, but we would have had uh, even dawn improvement. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then just last one for me, you were pretty aggressive on the normal course bid this quarter. I guess, in fact, you finished it. Um, just for clarity's sake, do you, do you expect to continue repurchasing shares under a new normal course bid? And uh, how do you balance share buybacks versus M&A, especially with regard to your, your view on uh, valuation? Well, this is exactly the same as you know that I said to you know just a few minutes ago to uh, Walter is about what do we expect for capital. I said, why don't you wait till hold that thought until we come out in a couple of weeks and I'll tell you how we're going to allocate our capital for next year. Uh, we can't do anything on the normal course issuer until next year. The question is, are we going to renew it and to what level? And uh, I'll just be blunt uh, without telling you the quantum of it is if shareholders want to continue to sell our stock at a steep discount, give it to us. Okay, that's fair. Um, thanks a lot, and uh, I'll turn it back. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Elias Boskalos with Industrial Alliance Securities. Please go ahead. Good morning, Elias. Good morning. I, uh, I've got a couple questions to ask. Murray, you alluded to tight capacity, I, I think, within uh, warehousing. Could that lead to some uh, inflationary pressures? And uh, if that does sort of appear, um, are you able to um, sort of move that, push that through? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, a good observation, that there are some bottlenecks. You know, clearly... Uh, there are some issues in the economy that have led to price dis destruction and price uh, reductions. But conversely, there has been some uh, some big moves in, as the consumer has shifted, and that's causing some price rises. And we're seeing bottlenecks and and some uh, in, in that part of the economy and some pricing leverage. We will be able to recover in those areas where the economy is strong through pricing improvements. Uh, and most of that has to do with just a changing consumer. Uh, my, my view is, is that if that consumer continues to spend as much as that consumer is, if we have any 
any type of recovery uh, in, in additional spend uh, and that capital gets moving or that uh, the, the money gets moving and that velocity goes, uh, I think we're going to have some, uh, some inflationary pressures. We'll be able to pass those on, but that's what's inflationary pressure. So we're monitoring it very, very carefully. Uh, clearly, with getting us margin improvement, we had to we had to get costs down, but uh, we're, we're able to recover all of our costs with pricing at the moment, except in the capital goods movement of the economy. That will be the laggard of it. Uh, but I suspect you're not you're going to have some some recovery in that end of the economy uh, shortly. You can only cheat on capital investment for so long before uh, that cycle starts again. So uh, I'm a little bit concerned about what the inflationary implications might be. Um, but I know one thing, you, that's another reason why we want to own our own real estate, because if there's inflation, that's going to show up in lease, lease payments, and we own a, the vast majority of our own real estate, so we're protected from that inflation cycle to a, to a large extent. Uh, that'll either make us more competitive or we'll have pricing leverage, one of the two. Okay. I appreciate that color. Uh, just uh, sort of briefly on uh, the land, just sort of uh, acquisitions. Uh, just, And I might have missed this, and I apologize if I have. The, the land acquisitions that you're thinking are, are generally outside. I, I know acquisitions are outside your capital budget, but are some of the incremental land acquisitions that you're looking at also outside of your stated capital budget number? Yes. Okay. Um, and the reason, one last the reason is Sorry. those are, those are long-term yeah. assets. Uh, what we'll call sustainable replacement CapEx is, uh, uh, is basically for rolling stock, but anything to do with land is about your, uh, is about positioning for future growth for sure. Right. It, they're, they're non-depreciable, non-depreciable. So I, I, yeah. I understand, but I just wanted to be clear. Yeah. No, you're, you're spot on on that. Um, last thing, Murray, you, you made a comment about margin improvement and you threw in the word technology. Is there something, and of course you talked about, I guess, the, the, the warehouse for Jays, but is there something um, on the technology side, and of course I am thinking a bit about Move It Online, but, but not specifically, um, that is giving you, uh, you know, a couple basis points or, or something that... Um, is, is helping you because you did bring that up. Uh, well, I think as, as the, I mean, the, we, we live in the digital world, so everything is then digitized. You you have your business model has to have that, you know, that uh, technology platform to even survive. Uh, and that's one of the things we continue to invest very very strongly in, and uh, and heavily in, I guess is a better word. So. Part of it's moving online, and that really helps your logistics, non-asset business, about just how you handle uh, the transaction in a digital marketplace. Uh, we had to make that investment to protect our company. There's no doubt about it. But when I talk about technology, it's about that. That's there's so many different types and uses of technology, but everything is about how can you work remotely. That's that's investment technology so that we can manage our business effectively. How can we 
put technology into our new facilities, right? Right. To, you know, on the what we call the smart facility to make sure that everything is barcoded and digitized coming in, so that everything moves quickly and efficiently, and with no misdirects. No misdirects, and particularly if you're going to be in the e-commerce world, it has to be a digital world. You cannot be in e-commerce if you're not if you're not in the digital space because it moves way too fast. So you've got to invest in technology as both uh, an enabler as well as a business protector. So uh, I, I think investing in technology is just like investing in, I mean, that's your future and investing in your education of your people and those kind of things. It's a staple um, for sure. Okay. Um, I wanted to cut it off, but maybe I'll ask one last question. With the increased need of technology and potentially the wage subsidy, which benefited Mullen, but probably would have disproportionately benefited some of the companies that you might be looking at, is there a potential for a, I'm going to use tsunami, but maybe I want to use larger wave of, of acquisitions to come into 2021 or a larger pipeline into 2021? Uh, I don't know, Elias, I don't know if it was a larger pipeline because the pipeline is full right now. Uh, and therefore, that gives me cause for concern. Why, why do so many people want to sell their businesses right now? So whenever there's too many, whenever so much happens all at once, it gives me pause for cause. My general sense is, I, I think that the uh, sellers might be a little more realistic next year when they uh, realize that their margins aren't quite as good. So, you know, sellers aren't stupid. You know what? Hey, there's a reason why they're selling. Hey, maybe they're counting on the buyer being stupid. Okay. But I can guarantee your, uh, well, I won't say the other word, but I can guarantee you that uh, we will not be stupid. But uh, when I get this many, I'm starting to think they might think we're stupid with our money just because we got it. So, but I think there'll be a lot. I think there'll be some great deals next year. That's exactly okay. right. I'll leave it at that and turn the call over. Thank you very much for the color. Thanks, Elias. Once again, if you have a question, please press star then one. The next question comes from Miguel Ladera with Cormark. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Dialing for David Ocampo. Um, just one question on my end. Uh, I just want to touch on future contract pricing, given where spot rates are. Have you started discussions for into renewals, or uh, any color you can provide with regards to those conversations would be great. Um, we got any color on that one, Steph? <laughs> Well, I, I think there there still is uh, a little bit of uncertainty out there. We've seen in our LTL, our, our rates now, we're, we're recovering inflation. So we've put in some rate increases here uh, due to schedule to uh, go in November. Uh, but basically rate of inflation type of uh, there. But for longer term contracts in the logistics and warehousing and certainly pricing in the oil, uh, I'll call it the oil field services segment. I slipped there to specialize in industrial. But... For the winter season, there's no there's no there's no rate increases on on our hourly oil field work, um, so it's still pretty uncertain there. Um, but we are at least recovering inflation in, in the LTL bill uh, part of the business, which is uh, 
the mainstay right now. I haven't seen I haven't seen Miguel, I haven't seen enough demand response in Canada. Uh, the, the Canadian marketplace is a little different than the U.S. marketplace. They've had a, a massive demand response, uh, but they have a much higher propensity of, of manufacturing and uh, and and uh, et cetera and capital investment than we have in Canada. There's still some cautiousness from what we see uh, on behalf of business and investment. Uh, we need to see that for me to say we're back and every piece of information and every report you hear come out would say that's still the laggard in the Canadian marketplace and uh, so uh, I'm hopeful but but I don't know we, we have to see that's all confidence driven and and I, I think there's still a lack of conviction amongst the uh, business community uh, to invest capital uh, significantly on lead life assets in the Canadian marketplace. Not on the consumer side. The consumer is just spending like crazy. But on the capital side, so that's what's going to drive pricing on that part of our business. The consumer-led, we're, we're, we, we're being able to keep whole on that side. Uh, perfect. Thanks for taking my questions. That's all for me. Thank you. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Mullen for any closing remarks. Hey, thanks for joining us today, folks. And uh, as I say, we'll come out in early December, probably. I think the early date is December 10th, and we'll outline our plan, CapEx, everything for 2021. And uh, let's just all hope that... Uh, that uh, we can handle the second wave uh, and adapt to it and pivot and everyone stays safe. And and then we'll talk to everybody in December and hopefully we have some good news. So, And good news on the economic front and uh, good news from a safety perspective. Everybody stay safe and we'll talk again. Thank you very much. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for just. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.